Hello, and welcome to our Asia-Pacific prediction series, in which we'll discuss recent developments in relation to climate change and ESG litigation. I'm Mark Smythe. I'm a partner in the Sydney Disputes Group, and I'm joined today by Jojo Fan, who is a partner in our Hong Kong Disputes Group. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Mark. Um, we have recently seen a vast increase of climate litigation brought globally, with a variety of claims brought on allegations of greenwashing, inadequate disclosures, challenges to manufacturers and governments. In this session, we will cover recent developments in Hong Kong, Greater China and Australia, as well as provide our insights on what the future of climate litigation may bring to the consumer sector. Now, the first type of emerging litigation risk that we see concerns misleading advertising, especially on product packaging and labels. Some companies engage in greenwashing, which is misstating the environmental impact of their product. Indeed, Jojo, and we're seeing uh, increasing numbers of businesses in Australia uh, using their ESG commitments to appeal to consumers. But of course, this does carry some risk uh, when they do that. Now, by way of examples, many products are labelled as recyclable, even if it is only partially recyclable or actually not able to be processed in the community. Although we have not seen such cases brought in Hong Kong, the experience of other jurisdictions indicate this could be a litigation risk. Thanks, Jojo. And so you've given the example of uh, the, the sort of phrase recyclable and other other um, similar terms. Are there any other uh, phrases or um, statements that are used by companies which might trigger litigation risk? Yeah, so uh, broad terms such as quote-unquote environmentally friendly and sustainable, these can also trigger litigation. It is difficult in practice to monitor every step in the supply chain and to ensure the product does live up to the label. I understand claims against misleading ESG-related advertising have also become more common in Australia. Is that right, Mark? Yes, that's absolutely right. And uh, we're seeing a number of consumer claims uh, being brought by the Australian uh, Competition and Consumer Commission, our consumer regulator, on the basis of allegedly misleading advertising uh, on uh, environmental credentials. And even just today, actually, the ACCC uh, announced uh, enforcement priorities for the next year and that uh, within the consumer and fair trading division that environmental claims and sustainability would be a key focus. And the ACCC in that announcement uh, called out that greenwashing is a concern for both consumers and businesses, and consumers are often unable to determine the veracity of a product's green credentials, reducing their confidence in the market. So um, it's going to be a key focus of the ACCC going forward, um, both in terms of um, statements in relation to um, uh, the end product, but also uh, the, the supply chain issues and the way in which uh, consumer products are manufactured. So this isn't uh, a, a new thing. As we mentioned, uh, the ACCC, our consumer regulator, has brought uh, actions in the past. Uh, for example, in 2018, the ACCC brought proceedings against Woolworths, uh, alleging that various environmental claims made on certain product uh, packaging, uh, that those claims were misleading. Uh, that case was ultimately uh, dismissed in the federal court and then by the full federal court on appeal. Uh, but it does emphasise that the ACCC is very much active in this space. 
So, Jojo, you mentioned uh, misleading advertising is the first type of risk, but what are the other key litigation risks that businesses need to consider? Thanks, Mark. So, um, increasing number of companies have made ESG disclosures in corporate statements. So, both Hong Kong and mainland China regulators are also picking up the pace to prescribe greater extents of ESG-related disclosures. And so, is it right not all kinds of corporate statements are going to be susceptible to litigation? Yes, I think that's largely right. Companies are at a higher risk where they make false statements regarding specific facts about their operation, which could influence consumers. So, for example, statements regarding suppliers' compliance with ESG standards may be the basis of a claim if the compliance is not actually enforced. On the other hand, statements which are purely forward-looking are normally not enough to make out a claim. Okay, that's interesting. And um, similar issues in terms of disclosure have been a, a key focus uh, in Australian litigation. And so uh, a landmark greenwashing claim uh, was commenced in Australia last year uh, in the oil and gas sector in relation to a company's uh, net zero uh, targets and uh, alleging that there was an absence of reasonable grounds for that net zero claim. Uh, this is, as we understand it, uh, the first of its kind uh, challenge to um, a carbon neutral statement. Uh, turning to other jurisdictions, uh, two investor class, class actions were commenced in the US, which specifically uh, mention and target greenwashing, uh, while others filed in 2021 reference uh, broader marketing claims about uh, environmental and social practices. Thanks, Mark. Another type of ESG litigation risk relates to the manufacturing of consumer products. So manufacturers of consumer products may be blamed for manufacturing harmful products or by emitting greenhouse gases during the production process. This type of litigation is more relevant in China, where many factories are based. And I understand, Jojo, that the Chinese government has implemented uh, quite a unique regime for bringing ESG uh, litigation against manufacturers, and that's um, sort of led to a bit of an increase in, in contentious issues on this. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the laws in China were actually amended in uh, 2017 to allow the National Prosecution Agency to bring civil litigations to target environmental pollution or other activities that are harmful to public interest. The law also allows the prosecution to support designated NGOs in bringing this type of litigation. But it's not only businesses that are ESG litigation targets. I understand that in Australia, government agencies are also at risk, which could affect policy and businesses as a result. Is that a fair statement, Mark? Yes, yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, there's a real focus uh, on uh, by activists and other groups in uh, using litigation um, to, to bring claims against government agencies to seek to affect um, policy changes um, from, from government, um, including by reference to commitments under the Paris Agreement in order to seek to uh, try to change government uh, policies. And that obviously has a flow on effect for business. What are the most uh, significant cases in this space? Yeah, well, there have been um, several uh, important cases which have been launched against government in Australia. I think in 2021, a particularly interesting and landmark action was one brought against uh, the Australian government by First Nations leaders uh, on behalf of Torres Strait Islanders in relation to climate change impacts. 
and and in particular the impacts from rising sea levels. So this claim is significant uh, because of its potential size. Uh, it's also the first climate class action in Australia which has been brought by First Nations leaders. Uh, the claim relies on a novel duty of care to Torres Strait Islanders, which would require the Commonwealth Government to, quote, take reasonable steps to protect them, their culture and their environment from harms caused by climate change. Uh, but interestingly, the alleged duty of care doesn't arise really so much from the government's um, position as, you know, as the Commonwealth, but rather from ordinary knowledge and foreseeability of harm principles in tort law. And so it's one that's uh, also being uh, watched closely by companies uh, in terms of whether a similar duty might arise uh, more broadly. Yeah, based on what I've read, that claim was impacted by the um, Dutch Agenda case as the Australian claim was developed in conjunction with the um, Agenda Foundation and is supported by a public interest advocacy organisation called Gratza Fund. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And there have been other similar actions um, that have been brought in Australia, um, which follow um, a somewhat similar pattern, um, a significant one. Uh, where judgment was handed down last year was the uh, Sharma and Minister for the Environment decision. Uh, so in May uh, of last year, the federal court, Justice Bromberg, uh, found that the Minister for the Environment owed a duty of care to Australian children who might suffer potential uh, harm from climate change implications, uh, which in that case were uh, going to arise from the extension to a coal mine in New South Wales. And so that was uh, a landmark uh, case which identified a new um, duty of care in relation to um, climate change impacts on young people. I see. So what were the key findings of that case? Yeah, so um, firstly, Justice Bromberg held that uh, climate change impacts was a mandatory relevant consideration, so something that uh, the minister had to consider as a matter of administrative law in deciding whether to grant um, the extension to the coal mine. But secondly, and more interestingly, it was the imposition of this uh, duty of care, this uh, tortious private law duty on the minister um, arising from potential personal injury uh, effects of climate change. And that's kind of duty um, could have much broader implications, uh, both for government decision makers, but also for private companies. Um, uh, in, in that case, Justice Bromberg didn't go on to find that there had been a breach of the duty of care, uh, noting that the minister might want to put in place different mechanisms to address uh, the duty once uh, Justice Bromberg found that, uh, that it existed. You mentioned the case went on appeal. So what were the findings on the appeal then? So uh, interestingly, the appeal judgment is still reserved. So it was heard in October last year. Uh, so um, it's one where we're very much waiting uh, intently to see the outcome, which we're expecting um, really to land quite soon. Um, but the Commonwealth in the appeal uh, focused very closely on uh, the appropriateness of recognising a novel duty of care in the context of climate change and given the existing administrative law and other mechanisms that uh, existed uh, under the legislation that it wasn't appropriate to impose this duty on top of that. So uh, definitely one to watch, Jojo. I see. Um, and so uh, as you can tell uh, from these developments, uh, climate change litigation is moving very quickly. It can have major effects on industries and the surrounding legal frameworks. 
keeping an eye on these developments is going to be critical for businesses going forward. Uh, and we look forward to um, continuing to watch these developments with you closely. Thank you, Mark, and thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, on this Asia-Pacific Prediction Series. You can find more information and podcasts on different issues on the HSF website. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.